From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And each episode, our special guest, or guests, will bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, we have two special guests. Eric Power, director of the animated horror film Attack of the Demons, and Andreas Peterson, writer of the same film. Welcome to the show, you guys. Hi, thanks for having us. Hello. Yay. Yay. We're so glad you guys are here. It's so exciting. Um, I feel like I've been gushing about this movie for since the summer, so I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to you guys about it. Yeah, yeah Mary Beth sure. and I both saw it at, uh, it was uh, Cinepocalypse, wasn't it? Yeah, in Chicago. Yeah. And uh, it was the first movie that I saw. I was recovering remotely, and it was the first movie I saw for the fest, and I was like, oh, this is going to be a great fest, because I, I really dug it. It was so unique and i love the animation style but we'll kind of get into that but for for our listeners who haven't had a chance to see your film at a festival can you kind of tell us what attack of the demons is all about uh sure you want me to take this one yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) well attack of the demons basically uh follows um three 
friends who live in this uh, small kind of Colorado town, very isolated, who uh, have to deal with basically a demon apocalypse in the making when uh, all hell breaks loose at their Halloween festival. So that's a synopsis, I guess. <laughs> Quick one. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so have you both always been horror fans? Um, totally. I mean, uh, I guess when I was very, very little, maybe I wasn't thinking about it, but <laughs> as we'll talk about later in the podcast, <laughs> I definitely became a horror fan pretty early on. Cool. What yeah, you, I, yeah, I definitely, it was, like, one of my earliest memories ever is, like, is being, like, two and watching the 33 King Kong. Um, oh, yeah. And just, like, crying because of how sad I was that <laughs> that he fell off the, the building. Um, but, uh, I mean, I, it's it's just always kind of been there. And it, I, it just, like, tracing it back is just... It was always something that was around when, like, growing up. Like, my mom really loves horror movies. Um, oh, cool. And so it was always, like, the kind of thing where, like... And my, my parents are both um, Danish and have no conception of, like, what is appropriate for a child to watch. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Um, my mom was always just like, oh, I'm watching one of my favorite movies. It's Silence of the Lambs. Do you want to watch it with me? And I was like, I'm eight. This is totally appropriate. Um, <laughs> but so yeah, it's just, it's just always been there. I would say. That's so funny. Cause I feel like like most of the people, most of the people that we've talked to, their parents have been so protective and it's always been so sneaky to watch horror. And it's so funny to hear like, oh yeah, my parents were just like, go for it. Oh yeah. <laughs> they, they, it, it, it was like, not even like they were nurturing me. They just like, didn't know that, yeah. that they were fostering that. Like literally, <laughs> like I remember the three movies growing up that my mom, I watched probably before I was 10 with my mom was the exorcist, uh, Sh- the shining and, uh, Sounds of the Lambs. So wow, wow. and those yeah. are like heavy films, not just like right. you know, like a slasher right. or something. <laughs> yeah, wow. like, those are but and those are films. I feel like that are kind of scary, but then I feel like if you don't know what's happening, it's not as scary in a way. Right? You feel like, like how do you even know what's going on in like most of those movies at that age? I mean, uh, well, unlike unlike Terry, I thought The Exorcist was horrifying. Haha. I know. I know. For those of you who didn't listen to last episode, Terry said he didn't like The Exorcist. (laughs) (laughs) It's gonna be a recurring theme. (laughs) Because he's wrong. Uh, I Um, know. So how did um, how did the two of you become collaborators, and when? Well, uh, it's a bit of a story. I had made my first feature film, Path of Blood, which is a crazy animated samurai film. Oh, I and, really want to watch it. I'm so I, uh, I'm gonna. Ugh, it's so the the trailer I watched looks so good. Oh, thank you. I'll just send you a screener. But um, okay. So <clears throat> actually, on Adi Shankar, if you know who that is, um, he's a producer in Hollywood. He saw the film and uh, sent me an email saying that he loved it and that. He uh, knew of this writer that I guess he was reading Andreas's stuff on Blacklist, and he had a, a script for a horror film that Andreas wrote, and he sent that to me, and I thought it was awesome. And so nothing really came of that script, but Andreas like reached out to me on Twitter, being like, "Hey, I watched Path of Blood," and I'm like, "Hey, I read your film," and uh, we became friends, and then uh, just sort of started talking about making films together, and. Uh, Attack of the Demons was one of the ideas that I sort of pitched because I had sort of like a loose idea for a story. And uh, I was like, hey, what do you think about this idea? 
And he uh, took it, and I think, like, maybe two or three weeks later, he came back with, like, most of it written. Oh, my God. <laughs> or wow. at least, like, a really solid outline, and it's it just blew me away. And then we spent, you know, several years desperately trying to find a way to make it, <laughs> which is a, kind of what you do as a filmmaker. Yeah. And I, I also just want to clarify that uh, I had uploaded a script to the La- Blacklist website. Not I was not on any Blacklist list oh. <laughs> i want to clarify that just you know I, yeah. as much as i would like to say that but... we've got this rebel writer <laughs> uh that that's amazing that's that's so crazy how how this how, can be like such a small world that something like this this can happen and i one of the things that um, i really liked about um the story was that you kind of centered it around three different fandoms because um for for our listeners there's uh the horror fan that loves all the kind of like italian type um, like deep cut horror films and then you have um uh the the female character she like loves the kind of indie rock band that no one's ever heard of and then you have um the other guy that loves uh like old arcade games and i i just I thought that was one of the like the most interesting aspects of the of the film is how alone in their own love for for their their thing that they kind of are and that's kind of how they come together. Yeah, I but. felt like that was sort of how uh I like I I kind of came of age in the 90s and the, the film's set in the 90s and I felt like that was kind of my experience back then is that me and my very small group of friends were like super into you know, various things like anime. And at the time, there wasn't a lot of anime on the shelves. And uh, it seemed everybody had these little pockets of interest, you know. Yeah, it's it's such a melancholic time, um, because you didn't have like, the ability to just reach out to people on the internet. Exactly. and and, and, And kind of meet. So like, it kind of did feel at the time, you know, I I was growing up like, a huge horror fan. And it was it was hard to to find people that that kind of shared that that interest in the nineties. Yeah, my my friends' parents they sound a lot like Andreas's folks because they had just a huge library of VHS tapes that they had recorded, like tons of horror movies. So uh, it was good getting in, into a group of people that sort of understood, you, you know, that right. this stuff was valuable and important. Right. That's so fun. It's funny because I am a little bit younger, and so I I grew up sort of with the like half with the internet, half not with the internet. So like at the beginning of my horror love, I didn't have as many people, so it was a lot of me like illegally downloading movies and watching them, and like like educating myself on horror. So Mm -hmm. it is like really interesting about like just kind of how alone you can feel in a and then find like the importance of finding community and how happy and how like how much it can change just your perspective on the thing that you love so much yeah i was definitely the same i'm i'm i I was in that generation that was in between um like right before the internet was everything and then right after and so it was kind of strange like that little before period when i was like I don't know, between five and 10, you know, in between my parents showing me these horrific movies, um, just like finding and discovering, like, I remember my go-to move. Cause my, 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 my dad, um, 
uh, both my parents were you know really big into movies, and my dad was like, my dad wanted to be a film critic when he grew up, but uh, he ended mm-hmm. up being a doctor, but he still had this like big love of film growing up, and so he was one of those people who figured out, you know, if you <laughs> if you rent a tape and play it on one VHS or VCR player, you can record it on another, and so right. growing up, we always had this like library of like you know two thousand movies in our basement, and um. I would always get my dad's like Leonard Maltin guide and be like, okay, what is, what's got, you know, three stars, what looks good. And just run through the list and see if my dad had it. And that was, that was, it was just like this really, and then whatever, you know, if, if I watched one movie and then there was another one on that tape, I just randomly would, you know, discover that one. And it was very, very uh, fun and uh, organic. Not that, not that the, not that the internet, like I, I don't think I would have gotten into like, 75% 75% of the movies I've gotten into since then if I had didn't have the internet and uh, the different communities you can find on there. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, Eric, how did you get started in animation? I'm always curious how, like, that comes to, like, how that comes to fruition. Yeah. Uh, well, in high school, I kind of messed around with some animation a little bit. I, I was in, like, a radio, television, film class. You know, they do, like, the news and all that. And mm-hmm. I did, like, a little animated logo. I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. And then I went to Austin for the, I guess, college. But before college, I got the rare opportunity to work on Waking Life. If uh, you've seen that film, oh. the Richard Linkletter rotoscope yeah. film. Because mm-hmm. um, the oh. guy that wrote the program, Bob Sabston, who designed the program for the rotoscoping, his first short film was all about my brother. And... Um, my brother's, really? my brother's autistic, and so mm. they did like a little short film about him, and Richard Linklater loved the short, and it led to making the film, and so uh, I guess he heard of me, I'm, I'm like an artist, I want to be an artist, and Bob gave me a shot, so he let me animate a little bit on the film, not like a oh, huge wow. amount, but I got to be in the room with all the animators, and just like, I fell in love with it, like right there, you know. That's and, so cool. Yeah. That's such an amazing opportunity. Oh, I know, yeah. And the rest of it, I'm, I'm self-taught uh, with animation. I haven't gone to school for it. Cool. So I just went home and started creating stuff. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. And so you use this really cool paper style of animation. Is there, like, a specific name for it that I'm just butchering? Uh, I just call it, like, cut paper stop motion. Cool. It's absolutely gorgeous. But it Can seems... you explain what it, oh, yeah. how it, what it is to our listeners? Okay, so I take uh, card stocks or various types of paper, and it's all shot with the tripod pointed down, so it's all flat on the surface, and uh, then I shoot it and then put the layers together digitally um, in post. So, uh, like, for instance, uh, it's very difficult to have characters kind of walk, like, past each other if you're just laying all the paper out right then and there. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you can only imagine. I used to use right. like a, a multiplane glass layers to do this, but now I shoot my stuff on like blue or green screen, basically, or blue blue paper and green paper, <laughs> and, oh. and, and it sort of does the, the same trick. Gives me a lot of flexibility uh, to pull off various shots. So it's like cool. a blending of traditional animation with modern sensibilities. Cool, because I was going to say it's gorgeous, but it seems absolutely time intensive. Like, how long did it take you to animate? And create Attack of the Demons. Just this, like the the shooting part and making um, everything. Just shooting took me nine months, but <clears throat> if you ask any animator, they will it'll blow their minds because that's kind of ridiculous. But uh, for my day job, I work freelance animation, mm-hmm. 
And over the years I've been working, I've just learned, uh, I guess, how to be the most efficient animator possible. Otherwise, okay. you know, I starve. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yay, it's, freelancing. Yeah, no, it's, it, yeah, it's horrible. So it's like <laughs> trial by fire. So at this point, like I, I was thinking, like before I made my first feature, I was like, is it even possible for one person to animate a feature by themselves? I was like, well, shit, I directed like eight music videos this year. And if I tally up how, how long they all were, it's like 40 minutes or whatever. I'm like, I'm going to fucking do it. So I did Pat the Blood and then uh, just sort of went from there. Cool. That's so cool. That's amazing. So you just do it it by yourself? Yep. All the animating? That's so impressive. I can't afford anyone else. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) I I would love to get a team together and make something like really beautiful. But um, for right now, I think I just have to kind of hustle till I can raise some budgets. But, like, the fact that you created a horror movie that was pretty gory and kind of gross with just one person, it's really cool. Yeah, Andreas uh, told me throughout the entire production there was a mantra, more slime. So <laughs> <laughs> That's a great mantra, I will, I will say. I think what's what's amazing, um, and we'll we'll link to the uh, to you have like a teaser trailer out on YouTube, and we'll we'll link to it in the in the show notes. But what I find so amazing is how you can make it look kind of going on the, the slime aspect of it, so slimy for something that's like literally <laughs> that's just like paper. Yeah, it's, it's so amazing. And the, and the slime, I mean, that, that was like a big uh, issue for me. Like Andreas is saying more slime, and the animator in me is like, <laughs> it is so hard to animate slime with paper. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's so much like, I, I love like the, the blood spurts and everything that happens, because I'm like, I'm staring at this. And I when I first watched it, I had such a huge smile on my face the entire time, because I'm like, this this is just amazingly, amazingly animated, that it I, I'm believing that it's actual blood when I know that uncanny valley that it's just it's paper (laughs) yeah that was very important to me to sort of try my hardest to make it feel as much like a live action as possible um so like just the camera choices and uh, you know the shot compositions just try to make it look filmic because as you know there's not a lot of animated horror films out there and uh, so it's a little terrifying to walk into new territory so trying to like give people something they're comfortable with while also doing my own thing, you know, and I wanted it to be taken seriously. I didn't want to release something that was kind of like over the top and, and Andreas uh, can attest to that. From the very beginning, we were like, this is going to be a legit film. You know, we're going to take mm-hmm. it, we're going to play it up straight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We wanted, we wanted minimal uh, winking at the camera. <laughs> Right, and I think that's what surprised me the first time I watched it. Because I didn't, I honestly, all I heard was that, that it was animated. That that people compared the animation style to like early South Park. Yep, <laughs> and like, and that it was about like zombies and demons. And I'm, I'm like, okay, so what is this gonna be? And I was, I was really surprised at at how. Um, emotional and melancholy the whole story was and i i think you guys definitely succeeded on creating something that that feels like like a, a re i mean not to be pejorative but like a real film it, it doesn't it's not like winky it's 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 funny but it's definitely a, a straight um narrative and i i really i really i really dug that thank, thank you, you. Thank that you so means a lot yeah i mean like we 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 definitely approached it from because like we we just felt that like the easy path for this movie, and I guess it's kind of hard to get into. With, I don't want to spoil the movie for anything because it's not not out yet. But we just 
we know knowing that the movie, as you were talking about, is about these three characters where it's like one is really into movies and one is into music and one is into the video games. And it's like, we didn't want to, we just felt like the easy path was to be like, and then he, you know, he identifies this trope from, from horror movies and uses that to their advantage. And isn't that funny because this is a horror movie and not to, not to say that that can't be done well in movies. It was just, we didn't really, that was very much not our intention going into it. Um, so yeah, that, that, that was how we were looking at it. And I definitely um, appreciated that when I was, when I was watching it, like I said, it was the the first film that I saw for an apocalypse. And I, it was one of my favorites of that festival for, for sure, because it, oh, yeah. it took things seriously. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but a- Andrea, so we talked a little bit about how Eric got into animation. How did you get into writing? Is that something you've always been interested in? Or yeah, it was from a very early age. Like I was that weird kid who was like <laughs> writing 30 page handwritten stories like and yes. ba- basically just like all i cared about was the writing part of school and like uh <laughs> yeah and so uh yeah just and 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 that was just something that thankfully my parents really fostered and and originally i always wanted to be like i always envisioned being like a novelist or something like that but like you know around like 12 i just got my i found my parents like video camera and started making these like little movies with like my action figures and stuff like that and uh it just kind of built from there and then I I had a, then going from wanting to be a novelist, I always had the vision of like, yeah, I'm going to be like a writer director. I'm going to be, you know, <laughs> I'm going to do everything. And then um, I had a, a creative partner that I, I grew up with and um, he has since become a lawyer, but like growing, like we had made a couple short films together and basically just being on sets with him, I was like, Oh, I'm not a director like at all. Like I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the person who's just like, just get the, just get the one take and we're good. I just want to go home. Like, I don't want to be here. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I very quickly decided, cause I, I also went to film school for a year and, and decided to switch after a year uh, at that point, just because I, I could tell it just that directing isn't, for me and I just wanted to go all in on the writing. So I, mm-hmm. I switched to just completely focus on writing and um, yeah. So it, it is definitely something that was fostered from a very young age to where I'm at now. That's cool. awesome. Um, so I, I know uh, attack of the demons is, has been um, moving along the festival runs. Uh, uh, what were your plans for it? Are you guys still seeking distribution or is it going to be hitting more festivals soon or no, no more festivals uh, that, that rides over. <laughs> okay. uh, it was a good one, I guess, but uh, <laughs> um, we do have a sales rep and it's oh. sort of being shopped around. So fingers crossed that uh, something happens with it. Hopefully a few people are listening. <laughs> yes. Please, someone distribute this movie. It's so good. We need more animated horror. Yes. It's my call. It's <laughs> me. I'm a re- I'm a good advertising person. You should uh, just uh, read these scripts that Andreas has wrote. We've got like several horror films like ready to go. <laughs> oh really? Oh yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Can you talk about anything, or you guys would keep it under wraps? Andreas. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I will do my best to not just like dive completely in. I think, and this this we can <laughs> we can mention because you did. You, I know Eric, you mentioned this at our uh, at the Q and A at the screening, so this isn't like some secret. But we do have a sequel for Attack of the Demons written. Oh, um, 
and it's it's not what we want to make next but uh we do have it um and it's something i think we both really like and it's something completely different um but yeah our 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 main mission with our next whatever our next project is i think we have i would say we have something like three or four movies that we would we would be over the moon to jump into next none of them are really like attack of the demons um they're definitely range from like i mean like we have a couple that aren't even horror at all but uh the, the, i would say the other horror scripts we have are less fun <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all all animated yeah. yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> the cool. goal. Awesome. awesome. Oh, that's so cool, though. Because again, like we've said a bunch of times, we need more animated horror, and I feel like you can do such cool stuff with animation and horror. Like, you, I feel like you can do even weirder stuff with bodies and gore and creatures. And I just think it's such a cool medium that isn't explored enough. It's an, it, there's some more. There's a little bit more in like anime, like Japanese animation, but definitely not enough American animation. Yeah, and I was I was super inspired by the Japanese animation. Like it was films like Akira oh, um, yes. that made me see like, okay, this could actually be something I would want to do because yeah. I mean I, I like kids films. I grew up with them, but I wanted to be a filmmaker and an animator too, and. Just being able to tell adult stories in my medium, that's that's the goal. That's that's like yeah. the life life mission. <laughs> have you watched Parasite? No, not the, I have not not the Korean movie, yet. but the um the uh the show the Japanese anime show Parasite? Um I don't I don't know, I don't think so. Cool. It's um it's body horror and like this really creepy creature inhabits his hand and it's like a very interesting body horror um anime so it's just maybe interesting oh, wow. for you to check out if you like that kind of stuff it's really yeah, yeah, totally. it's gross but it's really cool <laughs> I'm, I'm always looking for that sort of stuff <laughs> please check it out it's on hulu oh really cool oh, okay. yeah there yeah, seems yeah. to be so much more uh interesting anime and, and availability here i guess in the united states like it's always been interesting but like it's always been hard to find until like recently like mm-hmm. I, I i was i was watching the stuff that's coming to Netflix in January and they have a whole section just talking about the anime that's hidden in, in January. And I just think, I think that's so, so awesome to see that now. Whereas mm-hmm. before it's like, I had to buy pirated copies of cowboy bebop to watch. <laughs> Stay up until two in the morning to watch adult swim. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've done that's that. What I, that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, do you want to start talking about what we've been watching, Terry? Yes. So, Terry, what have you been watching? Okay. So, I, I know we have a big we have a big episode, so I don't want to focus too much, but there's been a lot that's happened um, <laughs> since we recorded last. Uh, I mean, just uh, recently alone, there's been um, Daniel Isn't Real came out. Uh, um, the uh, Knives and Skin came out. Uh, um, and then this little movie that surprised the absolute fuck out of me called I See You. Which was released the same, the same date back in like uh, the sixth of, of December. Have you guys seen or heard of this movie? I have. I like heard the of poster, it. but I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I really want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen movies, it either. It's one of those movies where like I, I got sent the screener and I completely forgot about it until I was in uh, I was in PAX and I got an email from the PR people like, "Hey, are we going to see a review?" And I was like, "Oh fuck, I guess I should probably watch this." And I wasn't really expecting too much of it. Um, but it is probably it it might break my top ten this oh, wow. year. Really? It's, it's very twisty. It's very um, 
there's a lot going on in it. Uh, the first act is basically this pitch perfect uh, story about this serial uh, kidnapper of kids, potentially, that might be somehow uh, operating from outside of prison that he's been in for 15 years. In the opening scene, this kid is like yanked off his bike by some unknown force. And then this house where the police officer that's going to be investigating the case lives, all of a sudden weird things start happening in there. His silverware vanishes. Um, what are you talking the TVs. about? <laughs> What's that? What are you talking about? This is wild. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the TV starts to turn on and off and the volume gets cranked up and Helen Hunt is in it what? and she plays his wife. And then like, it takes a turn and that's all I want to say about the movie. It, it's wild it's crazy it's um it was really effective it kept me enraptured on the screen sitting in my hotel room in philadelphia when i wasn't doing anything <laughs> so, so the mask on the poster looks like a kappa is, is am i reading that right um it's like a I, yes i i would say that it's definitely pulling from that i think it's technically supposed to be a frog oh. <laughs> um but yeah, I don't want to really talk about that mask, but it is because um, <laughs> it kind of um, it's it's a very su- it, the movie's very surprising, and that's all I'll say. I would really recommend going to check it out, um, especially if you're working on looking at end of the year lists. It might it might be a dark horse contender. Um, but then the other thing that I just want to talk really quickly about is I think everyone is sleeping on servant. This Apple TV Plus uh, show. It's I'm scared to watch another, it. Another goddamn <laughs> streaming service. Uh, what were you saying, Andreas? Oh, I was just saying I want to see it so bad. That trailer did so many things for me, and uh, I'm I'm in that mode where like I'm waiting for it to be out so we can get like the free Apple Plus trial and then bang it out in a week or something but like yeah i i have i thought it looked so good and then hearing how positive you've been feeling about it i have just i've wanted to see it so bad it is it's so fucking good i think it might be it i mean i don't think it's probably the the best show i've seen this year um because i mean i just started watching watchmen and <laughs> that's pretty amazing <laughs> but um <laughs> but it's definitely i think the best horror show that i've i've seen um, I, I guess since, uh, well, the house, uh, what was that? The haunting of Hill house. Yeah. Um, but it, it's so, it's so good. It's a nice slow burn. The episodes are only about 30 minutes each, but it's one of those that like, I'm, I have the entire season cause I, I managed to secure a screener, but I've been watching it one after another because I'm doing a recap with Joe Lipset and at, of the horror queers. And I just, it's so good, but I don't see anyone talking about it on, on Twitter. And I don't know if it's because it's Apple TV and people are like the whole, you know, another streaming service or if it's because of the M night connection, which I just want to point out, he directed, I think two episodes, but he hasn't written anything. It's all written by, um, the, the creator uh, that I can't think of what his name is off the top of my head right now. But I mean, it's just, there's a lot of talent going in on it. The, uh, the cinematographer is one that worked with, uh, with um the lighthouse and the witch oh wow, um, wow. the other cinematographers um worked on i can't remember what the other movie is but in another like high level uh horror film franchise and stuff it's just there's there's so much going into it there's so much talent behind and in front of the screen that i just 
it, it boggles my mind that I, I hardly see anything about it outside of like the reviews of the first three episodes that, that posted. But um, I, I really, really, really recommend people check it out. I'm afraid to watch it because I've got like three kids and it looks like it involves like a baby dying. I'm like, oh, I don't want to oh, think about yeah. that. It's, it's hard for you to, there's so many movies out like right now that uh, like a kid dies. Like I'm afraid to watch Tigers Aren't Real oh, <laughs> or God, Not Afraid. Yes. And, uh, not afraid. Yep. Yeah, but I know I've, I've got to like will myself to do it, but it's hard when you're I get a parent. That. <laughs> no, I, I actually I completely that makes perfect sense to me because it is about a, a set of parents that are grieving the loss of a child, and the wife has been catatonic, and the only thing that's brought her out of this catatonia is is this uh, this lifelike doll yeah. that her therapist has has given to do this like transient uh i forget what what they call it but basically this therapy to like we wean yourself off of the idea of of losing a kid and that sounds too much for me i don't know if i can do it (laughs) i I completely understand i get that it's it is it's 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 definitely um there's definitely a lot of melancholy to it and it's man my wife was horrified last year by hereditary we had no idea what was going to happen going into it and just like oh god (laughs) oh that's awful so she's like i love m night but i don't know (laughs) yeah that's um, understandable that's a pretty awful thing to be like thrown into yeah i know like let's watch this movie tonight hooray and then then you're like this is not what i was expecting at all but she agreed that the ending was just like such a sweet payoff that it was kind of worth it so yeah yeah and i have to check out servant now i really recommend it but um i i will warn you the whole show is about the grieving okay but i mean (laughs) i i mean okay i'm gonna i'm gonna spoil the first episode for people so if you don't want to know skip ahead but at the very end of the first episode the the plastic baby is replaced by a real baby somehow oh fuck off this sounds kind of so awesome (laughs) and it goes from there like i i don't want to like spoil things but that happens at the very end of the very first episode that's kind of the hook because like this entire time they've had this person this nanny in the house and she's really weird and she kind of hangs these blair witchy crosses everywhere and then all of a sudden the baby is back and everyone is acting except for the husband like this is the way it's always Hmm. been it does sound intriguing. I just can't handle that, and I really want to watch it. <laughs> it's so good, Mary Beth. I think you would love it. it I is, know, but I just don't want another sober. streaming service. I already have so many bills. I know, <laughs> I know. But I mean, the good news is, is that by January, you know, it'll all be out, and you know, it'll be one month. You get, I think, you get like a week free with. Okay. Apple, I just, so you can like, like. I just can't. I just on I mean, principle, thirty-minute episodes, so you could like. They're only thirty minutes. Yeah. Oh, that's even okay. That's even better because I feel like the one-hour episodes are too much of a commitment to do. Yeah. Like, it basically be like five hours. Like it's basically a five-hour movie. Oh, it's only five episodes. It's well, it's ten, but they're thirty minutes each. So. I can't do math. <laughs> <laughs> but that's me. That's I've why I'm in, that's why I'm in communications with animals and not. Yeah. <laughs> I've taken up too much time. What are you watching, Mary Beth? Okay, what am I watching? So I'm I'm trying to play catch up for 2019 because I feel like I like I'm behind on literally everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I finally watched Daniel Isn't Real, and yes. it's like the best thing I've ever seen. Oh, I loved it. 
I'm absolutely obsessed with it. Um, I listen to the soundtrack all the time, which is probably bad for my mental health, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> I texted Tara that I want to fuck the soundtrack. Um, <laughs> weird, but it's fine. It's fine. It's just absolutely gorgeous. It's such an interesting way of personifying mental illness. Um, there's a line in it where his mom says it's like a spark going off in my head, like a lightning strike. And I'm bipolar, so it, even though his mom is schizophrenic and it's very different, like mood disorders and mental illnesses, it is a very similar description to how I feel when I have manic episodes. So it was such like an like relatable in a way movie that sounds strange, but like it was like a very interesting and careful look at mental illness in a horror movie. And I really really loved it um the performances are absolutely amazing i just i can't gush enough about it um have you guys ever have all of you seen it i saw it at graveyard shift and uh, the director gave a pretty awesome q a after too cool that's awesome yeah that's it was awesome. really good yeah. we're hoping to have him on uh spoiler but <laughs> we're hoping to have him on eventually that'd be oh, cool. amazing and then i finally watched tigers tigers are not afraid um, oh. it was like someone kicked me in the heart and it was beautiful. I mean, like I knew it was going to be good. Like everyone I've been talking, has been talking about it for a long time and I finally watched it and it, it's just absolutely gorgeous. Um, Isa Lopez is Queen. an amazing filmmaker and it's just like such and it, like, I know that there was a lot of stuff on Twitter about politics and horror film. But like she is, she blended the idea of like, poli- like politics, not even politics, like social issues and horror in like such a beautiful and impressive way that illuminates issues without it being like pandering or lecturing or like didactic. It was just very effect, very effective. I'll put it that way. Yeah, um, and she she highlights an issue that I don't I don't think gets discussed much is the, no. the 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 aftermath of the the shit that's happening right so like the kids the orphans the it's it's a it's a group of people that don't have a voice and by taking that and spinning it up in like a kind of a, a Guillermo del Toro fairy tale yeah. aspect is just. Uh, it was very powerful, I thought. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I don't I mean, think I expected it, it to be as sad as it was. Yeah. yeah it's Which another one bad. that scares me, like I said. Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Like, you sh- you would you would really like it, but you would be very upset by it <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> with children. I mean, it, the whole entire thing is just very sad, bad things happening to children. Yeah, I think I can handle it. It's one that I, I have to watch, but I might let my wife skip it. <laughs> yeah, good. that's probably a good idea. Um, it's just... Like, and it's very important. It's a very important movie. I'll just say that. Um, yeah. And I'm so glad that Shutter picked it up, and it has distribution that a lot more people can see it um, and have I the know. opportunity to watch it. Because I, I, I saw it at Telluride Horror Show last year, and at the time, and for the longest time, they're like, "We have no U.S. distribution." And I'm like, "This is, I mean, <laughs> kind of." It makes some kind of like ironic sense that a movie kind of about this and the kind of climate we're living in was not getting U.S. distribution. Yeah, like there's definitely oh, exactly. some kind of commentary there, <laughs> uh, unwitting commentary maybe. But um, it just, uh, 
I'm I'm just I'm so I'm so pleased with Shutter for picking that up as well as like One Cut of the Dead, like the fact that uh, One Cut was so good, right? Right? Oh, it, that is another real. I saw that one last year, and I keep forgetting it's this year because I watched mm-hmm. it last year on like a whim. Like someone emailed me a screener because there was um an Asian film festival in Chicago, and I was like, oh, there's a horror movie that's so exciting, and I watched it, and I was like, um, excuse me, why are why is no one else talking about it? Right. And if you haven't seen it, everyone, it's a really cool zombie movie that you should watch on Shutter and don't look anything up when you go see it. Just watch it. It's real good. Um, what about what about you guys, Eric and Andreas? What have you guys been watching or reading or seeing? Or Well, um, have you guys seen I Lost My Body? No, but I no, was really that the Netflix want to watch thing? it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's animated. It's a, a French animated film. It's very much an adult animation. And it is gorgeous. It's one of my favorites of the year, for sure, of any film. Yeah, I, I saw it pop up on, on Netflix, and I added it to my queue. I just haven't had a chance to, to watch it. What What is it about, exactly? It's, yeah, it's about a <laughs> severed hand that's trying right. to find its way back to, you know, its body. <laughs> and then it's also about sort of like a love story between um, a guy and a girl he's got a crush on. Uh, and it, it comes together really beautifully at the end. I don't want to say too much about it, but it was very poignant. Poignant. <laughs> and um, I, I, after I saw it, I'm, I, I think I wrote Andreas. I'm like, this is what we have to do. We've got to do something like this. <laughs> you know, we got to say something. <laughs> like, I've got this film that I want to make that it's, it's like a poem. Um, and that's the only way I can describe it. Just like a moving poem, like beautiful and lush. But... Maybe it's for like 15 people will dig it because (laughs) it's very (laughs) experimental. But um, yeah, I'm I'm just so inspired by animation from around the world. Um, Countries like France that let the filmmakers just take these giant risks and make these films that can't be done in any other medium and tell uh, very emotional stories that um, I I don't feel like American audiences seem to allow their animation to do or, you know, at least get funded for yeah and i feel like a lot of those emotions and animated films are meant for children because like i mean i've seen a lot of disney movies that make me have emotions but again like those are those are geared towards children and like you said there's not a lot of like adult animated films that try to elicit those kinds of emotions yeah i guess they feel like the performances wouldn't carry it since it's not a real person but Man, that film was animated so beautifully, and there's so much like subtle uh, animation between the characters. It feels very real. Like um, I was trying to do that with Attack of the Demons to like kind of feel like these are real characters acting, but mm-hmm. this film just like it blew me away. This is some like stellar stuff. That's amazing. I I really want to check. I've actually seen quite a few people talking about it on Twitter. Yeah, um, as being definitely, it's on Netflix. Like a, so. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it kind of came out of nowhere. But that, I feel mm-hmm. like that happens with a lot of Netflix stuff nowadays. Is they sort of come out yeah. of nowhere, well, especially um, a, a animated features from around the the world. I mean, we we barely get any of them. You know. Yeah. Right. Um, speaking of animated features, aside, there's a really good movie called Funan that you should check out. About it's talking about. Ooh, I've um, heard about that one. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, it's really sad. But it's taking like mem- memoir and animating it, and kind of, and it's an interesting way of kind of um, rehashing trauma and memory through the uh, through animation. So mm-hmm. I would check that one out too. Yeah, that one's on the top of my list as well. Cool. Cool. What What about you, Andreas? Um, I'm gonna, I'm trying to think about how to how to talk about this without it sounding so lame. But <laughs> ha- 
have have has anyone here ever heard of Pets Cop? Uh, only through you. <laughs> yeah, I've I've so I've told I talked to Eric about it for a while. So it's this it's a YouTube series um, that has been periodically released episodes, you know, months apart at sporadically without warning, without fanfare. Um, and basically the, the basic premise of the series is uh, it's a, it's a fake let's play video of a, of an old PlayStation one game. Um, oh. But the game itself isn't real. So, uh, but the, and so throughout the series, the person who's playing the game and kind of narrating it slowly discovers that there might be some sort of spirit stuck in the game. Um and it started like in 2017 and it's this very mysterious series that like no one knew who was making it there's no like n- there's no like credits there's no you know advertisements for it there's nothing and uh it is something i got really invested in over the course of the past 2 years of just like oh wow there's a new pets cop video that came out um and it's uh so fucking good and um it's it's again it's so hard to describe because like the second anyone recommends to me like this youtube series about like a fake let's play <laughs> like my eyes will shoot out the back of my head like how much i'm rolling them but like i cannot recommend it enough um and it's it's very recently in the past couple weeks it and like it 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 ended and like one of the crazy things about the the show was that no one knew like an episode would come out and then no one would there would be no indication that the series is over but a new episode wouldn't have come out in like 10 months and people were like well i guess it's over and it very recently had a, a definitive ending and so um I just if if you're into kind of PlayStation One era like horror n- game nostalgia, but also oh, yeah. yeah, I mean it's and, and but then just kind of the level of craftsmanship and like construction that went into it, it like boggles my mind. Um, and then just the added point of the mystery behind it, because no, to this day, like the, the person who created it came out recently on Twitter and was like, "Hey, by the way, I made Pets Cop," um, and kind of proved it uh, through, uh, you know, saying something was going to happen and then it happened in the show. Um, but still, he won't let anyone. He, like he he's turned down like interviews. Like no one knows who this guy is. Um, so huh. it is. It is again. Probably sounds super whack, but uh, no, cannot is, oh, cannot shit. recommend Sorry. it enough. <laughs> I started playing it by accident. This is extremely oh. <laughs> my sh- this is extremely my shit. Oh yeah, and it's it's yeah, and it's it's and it's very and it's in the best possible way. It is very difficult. Like it's very you get nothing out of it. Like it doesn't really give you anything. It's like it's just it's so rewarding, and I love it so much. Cool. That's I'm gonna cool. watch this tonight. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna add it to my uh, my list. <laughs> cool. And we'll, everyone who's listening, we'll make sure to link it in the show notes so you can check it out Absolutely. if you want. To yeah, I think there's out. there's 24 episodes. There's like three three or four hours worth of content. I think, but well, uh, that's not bad at all. It's great. Like in terms it's, of watching television shows. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's great. I love it. Cool. Oh my gosh, I'm very excited to watch this. There's an entire subreddit dedicated to it. Oh yeah, I've I've yeah. been part of it for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I love learning about that kind of stuff. Like these weird little niche things online that curate a very, very specific community. It's mm-hmm. so cool. I, yeah, you know I mean, what? it's the internet sucks, but the internet's also pretty cool. 
That sums it up. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Um, So we have been talking about what we've been watching now, but let's go back to the past. Um, What did you guys bring with you today for us to discuss? All right. Um, So I I think I'm going first, and I brought uh, The Dark Crystal. Oh <laughs> which, which to me, it's it's funny because it seems kind of like an obvious choice. Like it's this dark movie for that was pretty. You know, it's basically meant for kids, but it's very dark and like scary, and so it's understandable. Like there's very very aesthetically you know, scary things about it. Like the villains, or, or I guess do you? I'm sorry, I feel like I jumped in. If, oh yeah, uh, no, that's if, fine. So if, we're if, just going to give a quick plot yes. synopsis. Um, yes. to catch everyone up who hasn't heard of The Dark Crystal or hasn't seen it before, and then we can jump into talking about it more. Yes. Um, Terry, do you want to read it? Sure. So, uh, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there lived a Dark Crystal that, when cracked, created two opposing races, the malevolent Skeksis, Skeksis? <laughs> and the and the mystical and kind Eurus? <laughs> Yay, Jim Henson and his words. Uh, there's a prophecy because what good is a fantasy story without a prophecy about another race of creatures called the Gelflings that would bring the crystal back together. So, of course, the Skeksis plan a mass genocide, but they don't get them all. And a thousand years later, a Gelfling named Jen goes on a quest to find the missing piece of crystal, bring it to get to the bigger crystal. And, well, they uh, kind of kill all the Skeksis. And uh, so... Yeah. Uh, the Dark Crystal. Um, it sounds as, it's, just as, it's just as wild as it sounds, guys. It's fucking wild. So, how old were you when you saw this, Andreas? I don't remember because I just remember always having had seen it. Like, I, <laughs> okay, I, it's one of those movies where it's just for the like the Skeksis have been burned in my brain since. Like I remember being hmm. a year old. <laughs> yeah, I hate that sound so. Whoever just did that, I hate you so much. It has been bothering Love you. me so much. I want to. Mm. Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> <Hate> um, <laughs> but like, so like I was saying, it's this. It, it has this incredible, dark, very like scary atmosphere and it's it's like one of the things that i think is so because like re-watching it one of the things that was so striking about it is it's it has like the very kind of fun innocence of like the muppets and like i would argue probably closest honestly to like fraggle rock but yeah the, this would be like if the fraggles were enslaved and <laughs> mass murdered and 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 they just really don't shy away from it but so that that going into it is scary enough, but like the spe- so the specific thing that always scared the shit out of me about this movie, and this is going to sound like some sort of criticism of of the movie, and and I don't want it to because I think the movie is brilliant and it's like one of my favorite movies, and this I'm, this is someone who thinks that the new Dark Crystal show is probably the best thing that has come out this year in my opinion, but I think the Gelflings are so fucking scary 
Like, they <laughs> okay, are. let's let's talk about this because yes. those motherfuckers are the most horrifying things I've ever. They're scary, emotionalist faces. <laughs> I want to. I wanted to drop kick Jen out of a window out of just pure survival mode. Like I saw. So I had never seen this movie before until oh, wow. last night, and I was just like, I had a visceral reaction to his horrifying face. It probably doesn't help that his first appearance, he's naked playing flute by the river. Yeah, that was also very confusing. I was very confused about his weird naked puppet body. Um, and his awful emotionless face. Because, like, all the other puppets have, like, very weird faces that are not humanoid. So it's like, okay, I'm like, I can get behind the emotionless nature of this. But he looks like a person. So right. he's, like, trying to convey sadness. But it's just like, oh, no, master. I'm like, I hate it. I hate it so much. And your weird little body moves creepily. And you look like a scary boy. And I hate it. <laughs> So for me, for me, what it, what the, the, the point, and I, I identified it later on in my life, but it was something that just struck terror into me as a kid, specifically. So in the, in the movie, whenever they have close up shots of the Gelflings, they are, you know, typical, they're, they're conventional Muppet puppets. And in the far away shots, they transition to actors in, Gelfling mm-hmm. suits, and that—that's oh, what that is. Yeah, right. and so that oh. that that it's so. I also, as a child, had a very a very strong fear of like dolls coming to life, and <laughs> no. so the transition of a Gelfling moving like a puppet to the next shot, then running like a human, just <laughs> it, it 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 uh rose the emotion in me of oh my god this toy is coming to life and this it's so scary to me um oh my god. which so is an odd disconnect <laughs> there's such an odd disconnect like i realized it watching this because it had been um i don't even know maybe 30 years since i had seen this movie uh-huh. and i it that was something that that jumped out at me this time was was the disconnect between when you see them up close and then knowing that they're like kids or actors or whatever in right in clothes in like the later ones i so i completely understand that yeah i mean it's it's and then i i didn't i didn't notice it until rewatching it this next time it doesn't help that like there are shots there they where they utilize that shot is like really far away shots so like jen the gelfling will be like you know we'll be on a mountainscape and then jen will like come over you know a ledge and like look down at the camera and like <laughs> in my brain it feels like he's caught you like he's he's your <laughs> like he's, you're you're it feels like you were hiding from him and he spotted you and like it's it's <laughs> and like that that uh, more than more than the Skeksis, like I, I think growing up, I thought the Skeksis were cool because they like kind of reminded me of Godzilla or something like that. Like, <laughs> and then and then the Podlings being enslaved was scary, but just it the Gelflings in this movie just scare. And I, and I don't I don't know if anyone remembers. In um, I ran into the same issue in a Muppet Christmas Carol, where the um, spirit of christmas past is like this doll floating in the air that looks very much like a gelfling and of all the shit that happens in that movie that was the part where i had to like close my eyes because of how scary i thought that was and so i was heavily traumatized by you know the scariest part of this movie being up front and center and the what was supposed to be like the hero of the movie the hero? just scared me so <laughs> 
I, that makes wow. me feel so much better. Like I tweeted today that the Dark Crystal is an uncanny valley of nightmares. Um, that's because of those fucking gelflings. Yeah, right. and it's and it's it's a problem they definitely fixed for the new show. Like, and oh, I did think, they? In my opinion, they did because I didn't I didn't get any of those feelings watching the new show. I was all in on these new gelflings. Um, <laughs> And like, I think it's just because their face, like the the puppetry, has become more sophisticated, and like they can emote ah. more, and they like contoured the faces, so there's like more definition instead of just this slab of blank doll face. That, uh, yeah. Well, and I think I I think what what also I kind of realize as time is that I think what what makes them so terrifying is that the other creatures in in this movie have so much personality to them mm-hmm. like the 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 urus with their like kind of like old man frumpy faces and the skexies that are just constantly like sneering and they, mm-hmm. they have so much character to them and then you have the gelflings that just look like like a kabuki mask or like you know this kind of like <laughs> just like this this non-living entity that is somehow staring into your soul <laughs> I recently subjected my children to the Dark Crystal. <laughs> Did you really? How'd yeah. they like it? Uh, well, my uh, five-year-old is the only one that really paid attention. It sort of enraptured her, and I yeah. could tell that she was pretty freaked out because at the end she's like, a lot of scary stuff happened in it, but the ending <laughs> was happy, so I guess I feel okay. <laughs> yeah, pretty I guess much. I, I feel it. okay. <laughs> Also, so, Andreas, uh, my I used to my nickname was the Gelfling because my mom always called me a Gelfling. So, oh no, I, I, I am oh, the Gelfling, so and I am coming we, for you. That's just... <laughs> why I can't just, look like, Eric in the eye. It's just, it's too much. We, just, we just like shit on Gelflings for like five straight minutes, and Eric's like, I was called a Gelfling as a child. I, know. <laughs> I am a Gelfling. I am a Gelfling. Sorry. <laughs> So, oh when God. did you see this, uh, Eric? Did you grow up with it too, or with Dark Crystal? Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, but yes, it is scary. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, there's definitely a certain amount of it that is that's very much intentional. Like I, I it's you know, like I, I was reading a little bit about the movie, and apparently Jim Henson's like was like, yeah, I think kids should be scared sometimes. Like that's he- that's oh, yeah. healthy. Yeah. Which I, I kind of, you know, I mean, like I, I, I mean, look at me. I grew up watching The Shining when I was nine years old. So like I, I am a big proponent of that worldview. But I just feel like the things I was supposed to be scared of weren't the scary things in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, your right. hero is the scariest thing in the movie, Henson. <laughs> yes. like, it, so, like, getting past my hatred of the, Gelf- of the Gelflings, like, it is such a visually impressive movie. Like, the puppets are so cool. And I hate puppets. Um, they scare the <laughs> shit out of me. And this movie made me realize that. But at the same time, it's, like, so impressive that they were able to do such a like, expansive story with just puppets. Yeah, and the world is beautiful. The landscapes it's and all that. It's gorgeous. And, well, and it's so full of life. Like, everything. There's so much going on in, in the foreground and in the background from like i i love the the little black balls of fuzz that are scurrying around the yeah. sky castle or mm-hmm. like the 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 vines that are like grabbing people or like just the the plants that are like and almost like anemones that are sort of like moving in and out on each yeah. i just there's so much going on yeah that it's it's amazing and it was it was so cool to to watch it again and, and see what could be accomplished with puppets <laughs> I, yeah. have, has anyone here seen? Has, am I the only one who's seen the new show, the Netflix show, the I've Dark seen Crystal? That first two episodes. 
I I wanted to watch it before this episode. I just didn't have time. So oh, yeah, no, I have not. It's a commitment, but uh, it's it's as it's everything that like I feel like I was supposed to feel about the Dark Crystal as a child, I got in the show. So I highly uh, recommend yeah. the show. Like they're the Gelflings to me are whimsical and and fun, and I feel super attached to them. Whereas you know, I don't want to see Jen again. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think the most important question for me is my Bay in it is Agra in the. Oh yeah. Okay. Can yep. we talk yep. about yep. her and her like yes, giant please. boobs and her nipples that are like poking out? She's like goddamn puppet. Why does she have such like obvious nipples? Okay, I I didn't even notice the nipples. You didn't? How did you know? No. Her titties are huge. Are they? I don't remember that. I remember the eye. Well, yeah, the eye. Obviously, I'm talking like. Maybe I'm gross, but like, <laughs> I was like very concerned about why she had such largely protruding nipples, and I was like, "This is a children's movie. What is happening? <laughs> like, have you seen the, Have you seen the last Unicorn, that animated movie? Oh yeah, about the. It's like she it reminded me of that that giant like harpy with the big tits. <laughs> Oh, okay. So I, I just pulled up a picture of, uh, and she definitely, it is cold in there. It is <laughs> She's up high on the mountain. I mean, you know. Anyway, wow, I'm sorry. I, not to hate on your bay, but like, I just, that was a very weird thing that I noticed today. I just love her. I want to be here when I grow up. <laughs> well, then, um, you, you'll love the show because there's a lot of Agra in the show. Oh, okay, good. She's sure something. <laughs> So it had been, I think it's been like 30 years maybe since I've seen this movie. And the thing that that struck me is immediately when the music started playing in the beginning, I was immediately brought back to when I was a kid and saw this. I love the the score. It's so good. Yeah, the score is beautiful. But what what I realized was like every time that a scene would happen, I was like, Oh my God, I remember being terrified of the scene as a, as a kid, like the, the dying emperor, first of all, Oh man, yeah. he's like, mm-hmm. he's just like a pile of bones and feathers and he's hacking at them and lashing out at them. And like, everyone is like huddled around him, just waiting for him to die. Like, well, like a pack of bolt vultures, which I guess makes sense. Cause they kind of are vultures, but like, it just, it like, I'm like, this is gnarly stuff for, for a kid movie. Yeah. Yeah, I felt bad showing my my kids that part. Like, (laughs) we haven't even had this conversation yet. Oh no! (laughs) They learned about Dave's body just probably. (laughs) (laughs) Or like after the trial of of Stone, when the Chamberlain loses, and then they strip him, and they're like literally pulling off every like bits of him. It's so harsh. Just like I'm like, good God, this is. This is dark. <laughs> I mean, they literally pluck him, and he's just this terrifyingly naked animal. Yeah, I think oh. I think I think this. I think one of the things that makes the Skeksis so effective is that, like, there there's something so realistic about the evil that they are. Like, they are just mm-hmm. the incarnate of like the absence of goodness, <laughs> um, and right. like they're they're just like these these beings that are so selfish and only care about their own weird delights that, uh, but that, that's like a weird kind of like, that's an evil that I think it like is very present at time. Like you can identify that like in the real world is like, it's not like some, they're not evil for evil's sake per se. Like they're evil because 
it makes them feel good, which is like a weird, very weird thing that made them super effective, I think, as bad guys for a movie. Yeah, absolutely. Ugh. And the, the dinner scene, I love that, where they have like utensils to go on their fingers. I kind of want to get in on that. True. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could mess around with some finger forks. Oh, man. Finger forks. I hadn't seen this. I don't know why I hadn't seen this movie until yesterday. I like, I love them. Like, I grew up watching Jim Henson stuff, but I guess my parents thought it was like too weird for me. And I just missed it. And then I never watched it. Um, but I had like friends who were obsessed with it and I was about to watch it. And my boyfriend was like, Hmm, solid. Don't ever want to watch it again. And I was like, why? Like, we'll see. And I watched it. He's like, did you, how'd you hit about the Gelflings? I was like, fuck them. He's like, yep, there it is. <laughs> so, so did you, uh, did you watch uh, the labyrinth growing up at all? No. Well? Oh my God. I was deprived as a child. I love the labyrinth. I just feel like my parents were not super into like it just feels bad to say they weren't into whimsical stuff because that makes it sound like they didn't like give me a childhood which is like not accurate but they just like were not (laughs) like i guess they just thought it was like too weird but like i turned out the way i did anyway so like it obviously didn't do anything (laughs) like i'm obviously like a freak well so i mean your dad was also too terrified of demons. So. Yeah, I don't know. Like my, it's like I went from like kid stuff to horror. There was not like an in between. It was just like I jumped right into it at a young age. Yeah. There wasn't like that kind of like nice little padding of like the dark crystal and labyrinth that were like fun, but also terrifying. Right. So yeah, no, I didn't grow up with that, which is unfortunate because I love David Bowie. And he has he rocks a nice cod piece in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Show does. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> on that on that note, <laughs> and to segue into the next segue into Eric's movie, <laughs> which I want to say before you, before you announce it, it at, at, on the surface this seems kind of like an odd pairing, but really when you look at um, Attack of the Demons, it kind of fits both in terms of like um, a different style of telling a story, and then mm-hmm. also the uh horror and the then so so in in some ways this this seems like a perfect pairing because eric what did you bring with you today well mine is none other than a night of the living dead a modern <laughs> masterpiece yes i love it um so mary beth do you want to yes so for for those of you who have never heard of night of the living dead i'm so sorry um but as you know in this, in this time this is a very cynical i'm sorry cynical summary everybody so get ready. As you know, in this time before modern cinema, where political intent was mainly just subtext, the Night of the Living Dead was had absolute was has absolutely no point to make by putting a group of typical Americans against an, an end of the world scenario filled with zombies. It is absolutely just about zombies and not about the political climate. So when Barbara Judith O'Day runs from the cemetery and finds Ben Dwayne Jones and company in a farmhouse before being forced to not only confront the reanimated corpses of Americans, but also the living Americans, including the local militia, director George Romero absolutely was not making a textual examination of the current world fears. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I, I watched this movie um to prepare for this right after the whole twitter row happened 
um, with uh, uh, Joe Bob Briggs talking about how he misses the time when movies weren't overtly political. And I'm watching this and I'm going, I don't know how someone that is usually has such an erudite knowledge of film could say something because uh, George Romero was absolutely making a political statement with this, even if you take out the um, the aspect of, of, of race that he says, that George Romero says is, you know, was kind of a haphazard coincidence that Dwayne Jones got cast. This movie is so overtly political, but before we get to looking back at it now, what's the story with you, Eric? When did you see this? Um, can you set the scene? How old were you? Yeah, so I must have been 10 or 11, uh, somewhere around that. And uh, we would go to uh, Blockbuster Video and rent movies all the time. And oh, yeah. my mom, uh, she didn't really censor the things I chose to watch. And so I just thought it sounded intriguing um, and uh, just from the title of it. So I just put it on the stack and I watched it by myself. My mom worked nights, so I was uh, just there by myself watching it oh, <laughs> at night at the age of 10 or 11. And it scared the shit out of me, like really <laughs> hardcore. <laughs> I, I never really uh, lost that. I, I'm still watching it now. I mean, it gives me the creeps. I just watched it again today just to be like super fresh. And it's very, very effective, but... I think what got to me about it was it had like a documentary realism. So it seemed like I shouldn't oh, yeah. have been watching this tape I got. Like it, yeah. like it was kind of real seeming, like the the acting even. I know it's it was a lot of amateur actors, but I think that just mm-hmm. sold it more. And um, and also, I was so young, and at the time, I still felt like the adults had their shit together. Mm-hmm. And then here's a movie where they do not, Absolutely. and they are the society is just completely falling apart and they're doing, you know, it just made me feel like, Oh crap, the adults don't know what they're doing. And I could see this happening. It just seemed like such a realistic, um, outcome of events. Like, uh, like everything can just fall apart at any moment and it would happen just like that quickly. So I think it just sort of long last sort of terrified me just feeling about how fragile, um, society is really that's such an existential fear i know <laughs> having that when like you're 11 years old and like i would be thinking like oh gosh there, there's a naked zombie oh my gosh they're eating people but that's like that's fucking existential right there yeah, yeah. that stuff was also scary too where they're like munching down and have like a barbecue and you can hear all like the gross sounds and stuff like yes. uh, that's also scary but but it, it was definitely um the the feeling like everything can fall apart that quickly that sort of stuck with me. And it's kind of sobered me up at a young age, I think. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's a big thing to realize and kind of come to terms with as a kid. Good God. Yeah. And then uh, I think, uh, you know, later on and just hearing about like Salem witch trials and how easy it is for people to just sort of turn on each other. Um, it, yeah. It just like all that adds together. So I think, uh, it was definitely one of those important films in my life, um, just to teach those lessons. So, yeah, whatever Joe Bob says about, you know, uh, movies <laughs> in 10, I mean, uh, films have shit to say. <laughs> they sure do. Right. Well, and, and I think, uh, I, cause I, when I, when I was watching this, I did a lot of, I did a little bit of digging around and like some interviews and stuff to, because I was so <laughs> obsessed with this idea that films from that time period weren't, um, 
you know, political. And there was an interview that George Romero did in 1972, and, and you kind of picked up on it as, as an 11 year old with, with the theme, because he said the story was an allegory written to draw a parallel between what people are becoming and the idea that people are operating on many levels of insanity that are only clear to themselves. And like, it just, it, it goes to show like just how quickly society can just crumble. I mean, this was like, you go from her being attacked in, in the cemetery to the entire world, just panicking and, and falling apart and not being, being able to trust the people that you're with. Yeah. It was, it was very bold too. Like, I mean, they got like a kid that dies in it. Like, I don't think I was ready for that as a 10 year old. And then also <laughs> everybody dies, you know, yeah. like I, I think I expected like they would get away, you know, as a kid, like it's going to be okay. They're, they're going to be rescued or something. Cause that's what happens in movies, like happy ending. But then no, it's just like, it has that such a powerful ending. And I think it was just the gut punch that took it over the edge. when I was young. I just remember sitting there watching the credits with all those still photos, just kind of in shock, oh, <laughs> you know, no. that sort of thing stays with you for sure. Yeah. And I, and it's, it's interesting to think about, about you seeing it when you were 11, because, um, the, the kind of unique thing about this movie was that it was released right before the MPAA established a rating system. So it was one of the last true unrated films before the MPAA could rate things. And it premiered because it was a horror movie as an afternoon matinee. So like all these kids went to go see it. And um, I, I found this really fun quote from Roger Ebert where he was said that the kids in the audience were stunned. There was almost complete silence. The movie had stopped being delightfully scary about halfway through and became unexpectedly terrifying. There was a little girl across the aisle from me, maybe nine years old, who was sitting very still in her seat and crying. (laughs) It's hard to remember what sort of effect this movie might had on you when you were six or seven, but try to remember at that age, kids take the events on screen seriously and they identify fiercely with the hero. So when the hero is killed, that's not an unhappy ending, but a tragic one. Nobody got out alive. It's over. That's all. (laughs) And I... It, I it's stu- it stuck to me because I was like I want, really wanted to know how old you were when you saw it because I, I can't I can't imagine going to see this movie on like a su- Saturday, Sunday Saturday matinee and it's like you're used to seeing you know I'm sure like you know the 1930s movies and Frankenstein or like whatever the latest silly sci-fi movie is and then you get this yeah <laughs> yeah it's pretty intense uh, uh, watching it now is kind of interesting like there's a moment like. I don't know if you guys seen it. You, you saw it recently. But ben oh, yeah. gets like the shotgun back, and then he just sort of like immediately shoots that guy, and uh, right. that was kind of shocking. It was like, whoa, that's a, that's a bit harsh. <laughs> Definitely, right. but but it was still very very effective uh, for me. Yeah. Um, had had you guys seen it when you were a kid, or when when did you guys first see this movie? Um, I saw it in my horror film college class when I was a sophomore in college. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I saw it then. So it didn't... It's still kind of... Hmm. It scared me more than I was expecting it to. I think I, um, for a long... For a very long time, um, grew up thinking that classic horror was not worth watching and that it wasn't scary. So I had... I'm I'm pretty, like, woefully uneducated on a lot of the classics, um, which is something I'm slowly remedying and realizing that I was a very dumb teenager. <laughs> but <laughs> most of us were. Yeah, stupid teenager. So 
I watched it, and I was excited to see it because I was like, oh, cool, one of like the one of the first like cannibal zombie movies, and I was really surprised with how absolutely somber, like sobering it was, and how gory it was in parts, like actually pretty in- intense. And I really, really enjoyed it. And I did a lot of research into it. And, like, that was one of the movies that got me really, really fascinated with political commentary and social commentary in horror movies. Doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) I'll also say one more um, childhood memory, not not related to Night of the Living Dead, but I was in the third grade, and I remember waking up and Clockwork Orange was playing. Good God! I know. Um, So... Yeah, I remember just being really bewildered as like, what are the adults watching? You know, like what, <laughs> what are, are all, they doing? I don't understand. Are all I adult movies like, like this? Like this is crazy. And I think I I like saw the rape scene and everything, and I don't know. It's just, oh god. Yeah, so that that's one that stuck with me. But I wouldn't say that it. Uh, I guess maybe it did scar me for life. <laughs> Come to think of it. <laughs> so but you start uh, talking about it, you're like, oh no, maybe yeah. this is. <laughs> uh oh. Yeah, I mean, I revisited it later, but I just remember uh, thinking that, gosh, the adults are really watching some crazy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Those adults, man. (laughs) What are they watching? I don't know if I want to be an adult. (laughs) What about you, Andres? Uh, When did you see this? So I I grew up, like, my brother, uh, my one of my older brothers was, like, obsessed with the Romero zombie movies. Um, Uh, So I I saw it by osmosis through him, but I think I was kind of like you, Mary Beth, where I I was not as a savvy 11-year-old as Eric was, and I I was just like, ah, it's in black and white, this is an old, uh, boring movie, you know? This is, uh, and and it's obviously, like, I watched it, you know, I just, I rewatched it, and I am, I'm more scared of it now than I was as a kid. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I find it much more unnerving, and like, uh, so yeah, I, I, it, it didn't have an effect on me as a kid, but that's totally my bad, and not the movie's bad. Um, cause I was dumb and like scared of the doll people from <laughs> dark crystal. <laughs> like, <that's... laughs> um, but it, it's, it's crazy. So I, I, I watching it again recently, I can, I, I have like one of the rare pleasures of being married to someone who hasn't seen any of these movies, who hadn't seen any of these movies. When we, when I, when I first met my wife, um, she hadn't seen like, basically any of the tentpole horror sci-fi action movies from between yeah. like the night like 1960 to 1995 and so like i got to introduce her to all these movies and like we watched night of the living dead um you know just the other day and like she had never seen it and she did not know how it ended wow. and so like oh, i'm wow. i'm just sitting there the whole time and like my wife let out like an audible like no like at the <laughs> end like when when it happened and it's just it's still so effective and and it, it it's i mean it's just a masterpiece like from top to bottom like to, to now like i i find like no fault in this movie um yeah so uh i've i've grown up a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah i think for me uh, like my parents got divorced when i was like 4 or whatever so i think i already um saw like people like fighting and falling apart a little bit so i might have been a little bit more um, easy to think that oh the adults don't have their shit together like i think i probably already <laughs> knew it beforehand but i was like wait a minute everybody's crazy <laughs> oh, everyone's a kind of a piece of shit uh-oh <laughs> 
we're doomed. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a very nihilistic film. Yeah, um, it is. Well, and and it's something that I kind of picked up while I was watching this because um, so far it kind of touches on themes that we've discussed a surprising amount, Mary Beth, on this podcast. You know, there's the destruction of the heteronormative family unit. Mm-hmm. The kids are killing the parents. There's a lot of social issues. It's about how fucked America is. It's about the Vietnam War. It's about horror at home at a time when horror was abroad. It's about like all that kind of stuff. And it's it's just it's it's amazing to me how much these films from this this era from the 60s up to the 80s was just kind of about the same subject almost yeah and and it's i think very much about race obviously like the the mm-hmm. lead is black and he's the only black character but i think in an interview Romero said it wasn't supposed to be about race and it wasn't supposed to have racial content like any kind of racial connotation but you know, at the end, at the end, he's shot. How can you not read it as that? I feel like. I mean, it feels like a very deliberate choice to cast um, a one African American actor in a movie about white people, and then having him, having him be shot at the end instead of survive right. by the white kind of like redneck militia. I just I, there's no way that, and maybe I shouldn't be projecting my own meaning onto Romero like that, but it just seems like such a a deliberate choice, especially, again, with the time that this was made and released. It just, again, feels like a very conscious decision to have this black character come in and sort of take control away from the white patriarchal father figure and then kind of make it to the end only to be taken down by... What's basically like a lynch mob, right? Yeah, exactly. Like the the imagery is is such so visceral in terms of 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 a lynching and the the burning of the bodies yeah. and it just it's so that it, and like like you said he he had denied um, throughout his his life that he thought of race at all and that you know he just was the best actor for it um, but like I did find an interview with Dwayne Jones before his death in 1987 where he was telling a story about driving in Pittsburgh while filming um, and a car was tailing them and it turns out it was the local boys and one of them brandished a tire iron and he said quote the paradox and irony of that of that of that I'd been walking around brandishing a tire iron at ghouls all day long and there was somebody brandishing a tire iron at me from a car but in absolute seriousness and at that moment the total surrealism of the racial nightmare of America being worse than whatever we were doing as a metaphor in that film lives with me to this moment and even even with Romero denying that he, um, you know, the, the race aspect of it, he said that um, his producer, Russ, and him, they were driving the film to New York to show to distributors, and that night on the car radio, they heard about Martin Luther King had been assassinated. And all of a sudden, even in our minds, it became a racial film. So, like, even if it was happenstance, which I... <sighs> I have a hard time believing that and maybe it was when he when he hired him but I, I I can't I can't believe that the imagery that he uses in it wasn't intentional yeah, yeah. I you agree. Know? yeah. <sighs> Oof. it's a somber bye guys yeah, gel- <laughs> gelflings are funny looking right <laughs> Now I, I will I will say that uh from from a 
one criticism is that I did in particular this time kind of was bothered by how incredibly, I guess, masculine the film was like the women characters are reduced to set dressing for the most part. And like Barbara falls into the, the utterly helpless with bits of, you know, fits of hysteria mantra. That's like, yeah, I mean, you know, it it is the, it is the sixties, but like, I just, it kind of bothered me how, like, strong she was in the beginning. You know, she's running from the zombie. She's, you know, she gets the car, she crashes, and then the moment she finds the menfolk, she just is reduced <laughs> to useless hysterical and catatonia. That's so interesting, because, <laughs> like, I hadn't really thought about it like that, because it just, it felt like, I mean, I kind of thought about that a little bit, because it felt like a lot of the adult women were kind of coupled off. There was the young couple, the married couple, and then I guess kind of Ben and um, Barbara get paired off a little bit together. Like, not really a couple, mm-hmm. but in a way they're paired off together. And they, the women do become, like, subservient characters, but then there's, but then there's the little girl. Right. Who I think it's and so interesting subversive. because it's like these women kind of symbolize, like, 1960s femininity and the supporting of the masculine characters, but then you have this little girl co- come back to life and totally rip it apart, which is so interesting. I mean... I just think it's a very like a fascinating kind of way of looking at femininity in that movie. And I mean, not to say that it is a good thing, but it is kind of a fascinating way to have this little zombie child have a lot to like see me like who doesn't only really play a movie part of the movie until the very end. And it's, she's like such an important character in my head. And she's really only on screen for about like maybe five minutes total. Right. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. <clears throat> It almost um, makes me wonder if uh, it makes me think about, and uh, this is—I have no actual insight into this, but just rec- seeing how, like, cause I don't know, have has any have any of you seen the uh, Tom Savini remake? Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, where they 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 gender flip the main character, and she becomes like the driving force is is the, I can't even remember if it's Barbara in it or if if it's a if they change the character to be more like Ben, but uh, I almost wonder if that was a response to that. Where oh it was, yeah, definitely. I, I don't know. So. It's it's yeah. It's 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 definitely not as good, but I have such a special place in my heart for the remake. <laughs> I, it had some really good effects. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it 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 definitely has a different tone, particularly with with the ending. I I, I can't because doesn't Ben die in that one? Like not from gunshot, isn't he? Like killed in the cellar, and then she gets eaten by him. Is that how that? I I forget, but I don't remember. I don't think it ends the same way as the original. Movie, no, I don't it? think so either. It's been a long time. Yeah, since I've seen that either, but. But then, if you also look at the uh, the subsequent like Dawn of the Dead and and Day of the Dead, even then, it seems like I wonder if Romero, you know, as much as he would like to pretend that he isn't socially conscious, didn't kind of, you know, course correct. Because I I would I mean at least I would think uh, I you could argue that the the uh, you know female characters in both of those movies are much more, you know, take charge and and less oh, yeah. wilty and and. Uh, so yeah, I, w- I wonder how much of that played into that because I, I I have to admit it's like not something I've ever thought about the original Night of the Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, I, just, I thought about it a lot this time when I was I was actively looking for for stuff to to think about, and it, it really I think what really started getting me, made me think about it was when Ben like slaps her out of her hysteria fit, her stu- <laughs> right? <laughs> and I'm like, hmm. 
okay, this is interesting. <laughs> what are we saying here? Uh, but yeah, zombies, man. Zombies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, well, anyway, uh, thank you both, um, Eric and Andreas, for coming on to discuss the Dark Crystal and Night of the Living Dead. Um, where can our listeners find you, and uh, what have you got coming up? Well, uh, you can find me at Eric Power Up, basically on all social media, and EricPowerUp.net. And I'm trying to raise funds for another feature film. That's <laughs> pretty amazing. We got, some, we got a, a couple yeah. options. Yeah, there's like there's there's like one or two that we're really pushing for that we really really want to make right now. Um, that I guess we probably shouldn't say anything about, but uh, <laughs> I gotcha. think they're pretty good. <laughs> um, and then uh, uh, I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram at SLC underscore Andreas. Uh, I basically complain about Baby Yoda memes, uh, <laughs> and that's about it. <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> Honestly, that sounds amazing. <laughs> Guys, we both follow him. You should do it, too. It's great. Absolutely. Um, so you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you, listeners. Um, what was your experience? What has your experience been with either the Dark Crystal or Night of the Living Dead? Did Gelfling scare the shit out of you too? Let us know. <laughs> Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail dot com, or you can reach out to us on Twitter at scarredpodcast. Um, and then you can follow me, Mary Beth, on Twitter at mbmcandrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. Again, don't forget to tag us and follow us on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone. Stay creepy. And until next time. Cause you want a fun break The playful way you scratch is the next choice you should make You can make your dog's leg kick and scratch with that You could even grab a laser pointer And use your cap You can build yourself a homemade scratching machine Or use a piece from your chest set Go ahead, grab the queen Scratch like a DJ with your record player A cactus could scratch off that scratchable layer Cause when it comes to scratching There's a million playful ways Thanks to scratchers from the California lottery A little play can make your day Please play responsibly Must be 18 years or older to purchase, play, or claim ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room.
ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>